This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usim, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. All right, everybody, welcome to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Mike Yassim, Director of the Center for Leadership and Change, and I'm with the McNulty Leadership Program, and I'm here in the studio with my good friend, colleague, Anne Greenall, and she is the Deputy Director of the McNulty Leadership Program. Her third host, uh, Anne, is not here tonight. Jeff Klein is off for the evening, and uh, uh, Anne, just to jump right into things here, uh, we've got a great topic coming up. Stay tuned, everybody. But as a kind of a warm-up on the topic, sure. and you've been in many classrooms, obviously, as a teacher, but let's reverse the roles. Mm-hmm. You've, you've watched many faculty teach, I know, and trying to parse out or kind of pull out what makes mm-hmm. for a person at the front of the room who really captures the attention of students in the room. What, what are a couple of the things they do? All right. How about, in one word, I would say presence. Just simply holding yeah. holding the room, and uh, you make me think back to a lecturer I had as an undergrad who was absolutely spellbinding. The class uh. would start; it was a fifty minute class. The bell would ring, and it was shocking that so much time had passed. <laughs> <laughs> right, the students occasionally say, "Whoa, I feel like I just walked into the room. Yeah. I was captivated." So, how do we construct presence? Oh boy. Oh, that's a great question, Mike. Well, I think it hmm. it does come maybe from the inside out, having a little bit of confidence, not arrogance, but confidence, and demonstrating that. Yeah. And I think it also uh, comes with some level of engagement. It's not simply a cold performance up front. There needs to be some sense of uh, an I, I'm going to say this dramatically, an I-thou relationship. You know, that the right. that the instructor, instructor is really speaking with you, not at you, not to you, but with you. You're in a conversation, even if the instructor talks the entire time. So the instructor is not speaking to potted plants. No, that's right. <laughs> it is people on both sides of yeah. the relationship. And and just to st- stick around for us, just to stay on this topic for a second more, that ability to, to with confidence, without arrogance, to draw people to what um, the teacher with presence is doing, I think is then followed by content of something that people value when they hear mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So we get their attention at the outset, but then there's a wait-and-see attitude. Am I going to learn something I didn't know before? What do you think? I agree. And in fact, Mike, I would say there are probably three, uh, maybe four general principles with respect to just that engagement that the speaker and the listener have. All right. Write this down, everybody. All right. Number one, quality. That what you're saying, you know, you have credibility mm-hmm. and authority that you can say what you're saying and that the listeners can believe that it's true. <laughs> yep. Number two would be, and you'll love this one, Mike, quantity. Not too long, not too short, <laughs> just right. <laughs> yeah, right. So if you say you're going to speak for 45 minutes, you speak for 45 right. minutes, not 50 and not 20. Yep. And finally, that you stay on track, you know, that that you, everything that you say, the anecdotes, the stories are actually 
relevant. So I would say quality, quantity, and relevance are key with respect to content. And an awesome warm-up, because that is what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, 55 yeah. minutes, not more, not less. You didn't know uh, I'd given some thought to that, you, did you, you? You were on the money. Wow. So with that, I want to introduce our guest this evening, Ann, who's going to be with That's us, great. Rebecca Newton. Uh, well, first of all, Rebecca, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, and Rebecca, you are the author of a book that Ann and I both have yes. right here in front of us. Authentic Gravitas, Who Stands Out and Why? And in just a minute, we're really going to get uh, deeply into that, but I just need to let our listeners know a little bit about you, Rebecca. You're a senior visiting fellow at the London School of Economics and Political Science. You're in the Department of Management there. And uh, just as uh, by my recollection, having been to LSE, as it's often abbreviated, it's right there in the center of London. So far, yeah. still part of the EU, last time I checked. <laughs> so, anyway, Rebecca, we won't get on to that, uh, Brexit and all that, but we are going to get on to uh, your thinking and also your teaching. You, you teach uh, in this terrain, leadership, communication, professional development. And, Rebecca, I'm going to start with a, a question that Ann and I and our colleague Jeff uh, it's raised every so often in offering up a program, a weekly program on leadership and action. Uh, we do this because we think people on hearing people like you, Rebecca, can indeed strengthen their leadership. But there's a theory that um, leadership indeed is something that you're born with. Somebody is a natural or it's something that you either have or don't have. So, Rebecca, just to warm up, you want to Take a swing at that one. Leadership is learned or leadership somehow is endowed? What do you think? Mm, Such a good question. So important. Um, Absolutely, leadership is learned. (laughs) Maybe it's it's controversial, but, you know, I mean, I think that there's there's research Mm. evidence that some of the um, characteristics that we associate with leadership, that some people have a... um, a stronger natural kind of predisposition towards those things. But I have no question in my mind that leadership is something that can be learned. And actually having spent so many years doing leadership development and having the opportunity to work with some leaders over the course of more than a decade, just being able to experience firsthand seeing how people grow in their leadership is, you know, it's been a phenomenal opportunity. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great. And, Rebecca, quick follow-up on that before we turn to the book and <clears throat> the content therein. On the issue of how people can actually learn, uh, <laughs> uh, the three of us in this room are going to be quick to say read books, for example, <laughs> uh, this one in front of us. Uh, on top of that uh, coursework, you do that, we do that. Yeah. What are a couple other avenues in addition to reading, being a lifelong reader, and really a lifelong classroom student? What, what else goes into it? So I think um, one of the things, and I was thinking about this today actually, just how much we learn from experience, but making sure that we're constantly putting ourselves in an environment where we are feeling challenged. So, you know, Anne spoke about, um, I loved your point, Anne, she spoke about uh, confidence. It's something I think about a lot because it, a lot of my clients talk to me about it as well in, in a coaching mm-hmm. dynamic. Um, and yeah, I think that we should, I, it's lovely to feel confident, mm-hmm. but actually I, I think that a lot of the time we need to make sure that sometimes we feel nervous 
And, um, you know, I tell my leaders that sometimes they should feel nauseous because <laughs> they're stepping out into new arenas and constantly kind of taking on new challenges and putting up their hands for new opportunities. And, and we learn so much from those environments, but it's easy. Um, and in some ways it's easy as we get further on in our careers and, you know, once we kind of find our niche, it's easy just to stay in our comfort zone and what we like. And I think in those um, in those times, maybe we learn less. So just making sure we're stepping out, that's one thing. And then the other thing I'd say is constantly seeking feedback because I see time and time again how, you know, the higher people go in leadership, the less feedback we get. Right? <laughs> so, you know, when, when you first get into your career, people all the time, you know, you can't walk down the corridor without someone saying to you, hey, <laughs> do this differently. Um but then the more senior you get, actually, it becomes more difficult to get honest feedback, feedback that you need to hear. Um, and so I think having a real commitment and a skill in terms of how to get constructive feedback throughout our careers, regardless of, of our um, kind of position in the hierarchy, is just really important for continual learning. Oh, Rebecca, I so appreciate your response, and thank you for, for joining us. Uh, we talk here, Mike, Jeff, and I, a lot about being good students of leadership, taking stretch experiences, and that's what you mean by stepping out, and then surrounding yourself with people who can serve in an advisory capacity to you, giving you feedback. I, I want to pick up on the stepping out and the and the. Uh, nervousness and anxiousness, because mm-hmm. I very much appreciate your point on that. I sometimes think about the anxiety as a, you know, as a wave. <laughs> yeah. And and that as a presenter or a speaker or a CEO stepping out, a leader, you need to have some of that anxiety, but you want to be on top of the wave, not under the wave. <laughs> So the question is then, how do you get on top of the wave and step out? You're in an uncomfortable stretch experience. So do you have some suggestions that you make uh, to the people who work with you? To make sure that they're staying on top of the wave? Yes, right. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, Shall I just start by telling you a moment when I went under the wave? (laughs) (laughs) That's very... And isn't that a horrible experience? We're ready. (laughs) We're ready. Because we've both been there. Thank you for sharing. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, just, you know, full transparency. Why not? It's 11 Mm. o'clock at night here in London. (laughs) You know, (laughs) keeping it real. Um, So, you know, I mean, now, as I'm I'm sure you both do as well, I, I do talks and have the privilege of speaking with lots of people and keynotes on leadership and things like that. It might be hundreds of people sometimes in the room. And I I feel pretty comfortable with that now. You know, I'm pretty happy. I, I enjoy spending time with them and love the topics that I talk about. Um, but it didn't start that way. The first business presentation that I, get, that I gave, um, I actually, there was a room of about 30 professionals and my colleague was, my senior consultant I was with, was giving the first part of the presentation. And I was out in the corridor and I looked down the corridor and saw about kind of 30 people sitting there. And I sat down in reception thinking, I don't feel okay. And then <laughs> oh. quickly said to the receptionist, <laughs> she said, are you okay? And I said, um, I, I was quite a bit younger. I said, call an ambulance. An organ has burst. 
choose my mother's phone number in case I die. Yeah. <laughs> and I was lying down with my feet on the coffee table at the client reception. And I honestly, word for word truth, I was taken away from my first business presentation in an ambulance to hospital. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> and I said to the yep. paramedic, which organ is it? Because <laughs> I could tell something had exploded. And she said, um... You've hyperventilated. <laughs> <laughs> they get too excited. That organ. <laughs> oh, poor thing. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I understand going under the wave. And mm. I, try oh, boy. That, and I try and help my clients avoid going under the wave. Um, but to stay on top of the wave. And so getting that kind of right level of, um, of you know, I, I, don't ever, I don't ever really think anxiety is a, is a great, um, that's certainly not what I would want for someone is to feel anxiety in the in the true sense of the word feel anxious right, maybe right. Um, which i think there's a difference and and <clears> that people <throat> can instinctively recognize that difference and so I, I i you know i heard some some research that um one of the researchers suggested that that we reframe nervousness as excitement mm-hmm. and i thought that was quite a novel idea and so i tried to do it myself no yeah. I, but i couldn't quite trick myself into full belief that I was just excited, not nervous. The last time I was, you know, having a stretch opportunity, and um, but I do think there's something to be said. I think that we can recognise there's an element of I'm yes I'm I yes I'm nervous about this because this is a stretch opportunity for me, and so you know we we want to have comfort, like we want to feel comfortable. But actually, I don't know why we think we would feel comfortable in those dynamics. So, you know, if I'm with a partner of a professional services firm and they're presenting in front of the um, executive board or something like that, and maybe it's their first time or they're presenting some new initiative, I, I say, well, <laughs> why would you feel confident? Like, this is brand new for you. This is a new idea. This is a really big moment in your career. Why would you think that you would feel confident? And then once you realize that because it's a... Um, it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. We can be critical of ourselves because we don't feel confident. Mm. And then we, we, it, that reduces our confidence because we, we're having this negative self-talk. Um, and so I think recognizing that nervousness and feeling a bit anxious is, is actually an appropriate response to the big opportunity or challenge that you're stepping into. So, Anne, we're doing well. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Trying to stay well on top of the wave. Yeah, yeah, totally right. And all that anxiety is actually an affirmative. It's a good thing. <laughs> hey, I need to let everybody, Rebecca, know that you are listening in this country to Leadership in Action, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Mike Hussein, here with Anne Greenhall. And our host, our guest right now, rather, is Dr. Rebecca Newton, uh, who is the CEO of Coach Advisor and author of Authentic Gravitas, subtitle, Who Stands Out and Why? And hey, if you want to join us, if you want to find out how to or offer some thoughts on how to stand out or how to get out from under the wave, <laughs> you can reach us at 844-942-7866. So give us a call. And Rebecca, just to stay with uh, uh, the reference to the book for a minute, and we'll come back to where Anne had us going with you. Uh, what what led you to write the book? What was the moment that... <laughs> You realized it was not a burst organ, but you're a author. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, 
So I would say for the last, I mean, it's been close to 20 years that I've been doing leadership consulting and coaching, which is a real privilege. And in, I call it the, the quiet of the coaching room. I mean, you'll know it when people realize that they can trust you and they feel that they can confide. I have had so many moments and conversations with leaders when they've gotten to this point it almost goes still and they they kind of whisper Rebecca do you know what what I really need I need more gravitas and time after time I would hear this and do you know what almost every time I'd hear it I I felt like the people saying it thought that they were the only one and they'd say it as if they should they almost shouldn't want this or they shouldn't need it Mm. um but it was a really, you know, this topic really matters to me because it, it genuinely matters to my clients. And so one of two things, either that they, over the years, um, have described to me how they feel that they need more gravitas. And these are successful professionals as well. Um, a lot of the time they're, you know, they're not straight out of college, um, although that does happen as well. But people who, you know, seemingly are doing very well in their careers would confide, I, f- I really feel like I need more gravitas. Um, and equally, people have been given feedback and told by their manager that the thing that they need to, whether it's to get them over the line to the next level of responsibility in their organization or just for their, how they can develop, that they need more gravitas. Um, but the thing is, it's always it's always followed by this sense of it's elusive, it's intangible. What is this thing? So we're, I recognize or you're telling me that I need it, but I'm not quite sure what that means and I'm definitely not sure how to get it. So that was the foundation of the book. Rebecca, let me just read a sentence out of the book. I have, this is on um, an early page. You offer up a definition that comes out of a dictionary. I think it's great. Gravitas is seriousness and importance of manner causing feelings of respect and trust in others. That seems to me it's very well put. Uh, it is an outcome, of course, and as you think about what goes into that, just to get into that now for a bit, and then we'll come back to the use of the word authentic in front of gravitas, what do you think it takes at root, or what would you say to a client, I want more of this, I want to be able to um, be respected, I want others to trust me, I want a kind of presence, and use the term presence at the outset, I think is a good one too. Yeah. So let's break it down. Um, let's imagine that Ann and I are in for a, uh, a couple's coaching. <laughs> yeah. The two of us want to get better at Gravitas. Yeah. So how do, we, how do we do it? Okay. Um, yeah, so I guess what I would say hmm. is that it is about being respected and trusted. And so one of the things that um, I set out to do is to see in the workplace, does this definition hold true, this, this um, dictionary definition, in the way that we use it? And absolutely, people with gravitas were considered to be respected and trusted. Um, But they weren't necessarily regarded as serious in manner, and they definitely weren't self-important. So the way that we use it in the workplace nowadays um, is more around people who are um, really well regarded by others because of the value that they add. So the value they add to the situation, to the meeting, to their clients, to their colleagues. Um, and that really is the foundation. And so there's a few different things. Obviously, we pick up on loads of them in the book. One of them is what Anne mentioned before about um, just the the quality of the contribution that someone is able to make. That definitely was 
and this what we've talked about this continuous learning absolutely that was one of the foundations that came out of the research as being um, a root of gravitas the people are not just it's not just one bank of knowledge that they have but that they're always continuing to stretch and to grow and, and to keep um, developing themselves hmm. uh, Rebecca I really appreciate that definition and your earlier conversation and what I have gleaned and what I know from uh, reviewing your book is that gravitas is something that can be learned, so it's not just a given. And it's also something that we don't want to confuse with confidence, and that it is also a choice. Is that right? And how am I doing so far? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, so <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, one of the myths that you bust is that it's given, and the second is that it's about confidence. How about the third myth? And that's really about charisma. And that I think of here because of your uh, comment about seriousness. The manner in which you convey gravitas is not necessarily does not necessarily have to be a serious manner. Or, a, you know, to be charismatic. So could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, um, you know, we would all quite like to get a tick in the charisma box, right? Like, sure. You know, nobody's ever going to think, oh, no, I'm too charismatic for me. Um, so <laughs> that's one thing that people aspire to. But when it comes to gravitas, it's important to... Um, to understand that while people who are regarded as others as, by others as being charismatic, that those people don't necessarily have gravitas. So you can have charisma and gravitas, but but charisma is not a requirement for gravitas. Um, and I think that's important because you know charisma is linked to some extent to personality. And while I'd say there are absolutely skills that people could develop around that, you know, it's considered kind of a um, something comes out as a as a personality trait, and gravitas is not something that people are born with or not, and that's that's like you said, it's the first myth that we talk about, which is, is this something I can really have? So when people were disclosing to me that I they would like more gravitas or that they were told that they need more gravitas, there was a sense of I'm not really sure if I can if this is something I can actually develop if this is something I can grow in and it absolutely is and so there's no personality requirement or, or personal characteristic um, that's a requirement for people who have gravitas mm -hmm. and what we did in the research was you know ask lots of different leaders and professionals in a wide range of industries globally um, to describe people who they considered to have a high degree of gravitas and I say a high degree because it's not something that we suddenly attain I have it or I don't um, and, you know, they would describe very different people and in terms of how they showed up, their personality, um, their, their kind of personal style and their preferences for interacting and communicating. And so what we tried to do instead was look at these, like you, you said, these root causes of what does make a difference because okay. personality and charisma doesn't. So we know what gravitas is not, and we have a sense of what it is. Can we say a word or two about the adjective authentic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that came out, the reason that authentic is, is right there at the start of, of the book is the first thing, is because one of the things that came out is that 
people will say, I, I would say, I don't want to pretend to be someone I'm not. So I do want more gravitas, but I don't want to have to, I don't want to copy someone else and I don't want this sense of being false. I want to be, be true to myself and not certain whether both things could happen at the same time. Can I have gravitas and can I still be me? And the answer is yes. And so authenticity, I think, is such an important key in professional life and leadership. Um, you know, I mean, you'll know it's one of the strongest predictors of well-being. It's, it's really about um, understanding what I, what I personally think, what I feel, what I believe, and acting in a way that reflects our values. And so I, I talk a lot about just being very intentional with how we show up. Because I think everyone thinks that we, you know, yeah, I'm outworking my values. And, but we all have this gap. I call it the integrity gap between our intention for how we show up and the reality of how we actually impact people. And that the goal with authenticity is to minimize that gap so that we have the impact on people that we want to have. Very good. We're going to mind the gap. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't help myself, Mike. <laughs> it just seemed appropriate. And I was about to say that. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mike. <laughs> no, you got it. You got it. So, Rebecca, we're going to take a breather in just about a minute. Uh, but I want to make a comment that will lead to a question, and that is right. just taking notes here from what you've said, and this is all in your book, of course. Uh, for the display of gravitas, we want to be serious. We want to convey an importance. We want to add value. I think I've got a pretty good fix on on adding value. We're talking about a new product, and hopefully I add some thinking about uh, pricing and where it's going to be sold, who might want to buy it. Importance, I think that does help us keep focused on why the heck are we meeting and am I contributing. <laughs> on seriousness, uh, or serious, that, that part of the definition, I think I'm personally more challenged, though I'm thinking in of a couple of people that I – Sometimes we'll sit with and they kind of get me giggling. Oh, I can think of one. <laughs> I don't think I want them on stage with me. So, uh, Rebecca, just with uh, literally about 30 seconds, we'll pick this up right after the break. Uh, how do you coach people on that seriousness factor? Great. So we're going to pick this up after the break? No. Uh, what, what, uh, give <laughs> no, us about uh, 20 seconds right now. How, just, seconds. Yeah, just okay. Sorry, I didn't make the that clear. The thing I'd say is be serious about the things that matter and take them seriously, take responsibility regardless of your place in the hierarchy. But, you know, a bit of levitas, a bit of fun sometimes has to be in the mix as well. So it's not about being yeah. consistently serious. It's about taking things seriously when they need to be, you know, when That's they're great. really important, um, not necessarily serious and in manner. Totally. Really, really helpful. And, and just for the record, that's going to be on the exam. <laughs> right. So I'm ready, Mike. I'm taking here. notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about authenticity. And Rebecca, I would just like to hear your response because I know in the literature about leadership that there is a little pushback on that notion of authenticity. And in fact, Mike and I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing a colleague from Stanford, uh, Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's written a book in which he, uh, it's called, what is it, Leadership BS? Is that it, Mike? Was that the type provocative title? Yep. And he has a chapter in there called the, you know, like the myth of authenticity. So how would you reply to that? Sure. Um, well, I think that we need to understand the difference between being natural and being authentic. Um, 
So would you like another embarrassment Sure. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, you're too good to be true. <laughs> okay. So um, I kind of practice what I preach and I get, you know, like I have 360s and feedback and coaching and stuff like that. And so years ago I was, I was in America getting um, – having a session with a coach there and he was giving me feedback on a 360 profile that I had done and he said to me Rebecca the we, you know we'd been having a chat and everything was going fine and then he said Rebecca the um, the report suggests that the 360 feedback results suggest that you're stubborn and I said no I'm not and, <laughs> good answer Ding. he said um, okay and I said no his name's Chris. I said, Chris, really, I'm, I'm just not. So I, I, I understand the other things we've been talking about. I can see your points, but I'm just not stubborn. And I really meant it. <laughs> it took me years to realize the irony. Of <laughs> he was smiling. <laughs> and he said to me, okay, yeah, okay. Um, you know, now I, I think back to his why he was smiling. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. When you get back to London, I want you to ask three people who you work with closely how they would rate you on stubbornness on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest. And I said, Chris, I'd be so happy to do that, absolutely. Thinking, (laughs) then I can email you and say, see, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So I get back to London, and I'm uh, in a coffee shop, and I'm in Mayfair, and I'm heading into a meeting with a colleague of mine, Sarah, who I've worked with for years. And I say to her, totally out of the blue, we've been talking about something else, we're going to this meeting, we're putting on our coats, and I say to her, hey, Sarah, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how would you rate me for stubbornness 10? <laughs> not a breath between my question and her answer. Not a breath. Um, and so I was very like bothered and took, had to take my coat off again because I was so hot and flustered. Um, so anyway, turns out that my natural style is being stubborn. And that's something, I, you know, I'm on a journey. It's a long journey, but anyway. And so... That's my natural self. So we have these natural ways of behaving that come partly out of our personality and partly out of our, um, you know, things that we've picked up mm-hmm. mostly unintentionally along the way, habits. So, you know, we might have had a, a boss for a long time who behaved a certain way or people around us or the culture that we're in or whatever. Um, so we pick up these habits and ways of behaving that become our kind of natural style. But those things aren't necessarily in line with our values and what we believe and how we want to show up. And so for me, I mean, I never would, you know, I, I value my colleagues. I want to create an environment where they're able to contribute. I think that, you know, I genuinely believe that two heads are better than one, that, that more than that are better than one. And so it, that wasn't in line. My behavior wasn't in line with my beliefs. And so one thing that I I really think is that to be authentic, we actually have to be openly open to change. We have mm. to, Authenticity mm-hmm. requires us to be um, versatile, to constantly be learning and adapting our style. Oh, so, so good. It's not about being fixed and being the way that we've always been. And that's where I think authenticity gets a bad name is where we're just thinking – it's about me always saying the same, I'm just not like that. I always say to my clients, don't you ever use personality as an excuse. Don't you ever use habits and ways that you're used to interacting as an excuse. Um, I mean, you're, you can do that, but at least acknowledge it's an excuse because what matters and what the research shows makes a positive difference and helps people add value is that they're 
constantly checking in, what kind of leader do I want to be? What kind of professional do I want to be? What kind of impact do I want to have? Because of what do I what do I believe and what do I value? What matters to me and what matters to the people here? And that means we need to change. And so that's being authentic. Authentic is not the same as staying the same. Oh, so good, Rebecca. So now you've also managed to touch on my follow-up question, and then I'll hand the baton back to Mike. You, uh, We were joking a little bit before the break about minding the gap. In other words, the gap between how you intend to behave and how you are perceived. And you've just given a beautiful illustration. And Rebecca, I wouldn't say you're stubborn. I would say you're persistent. So, you know. That's kind. Very good. Okay. I will take that out. All right. So, uh, you know, in the work that Mike and I do with students and participants in our in our programs, I like to really underscore the difference between our sense of ourself, in other words, our identity and our reputation. And ideally, those two match. Mm-hmm. How we think of ourselves and how people see us are in harmony. But that's not always the case. So can you say a little bit more about how we bring uh, identity and reputation more in line? Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's not It's not always the case, and it's hard when you realize that it's, that it's not. And right. you know, the research shows that that people who are closest to you tend to have the same perceptions of you as, or they're more likely to hold the same perceptions of you as you hold about yourself. Mm. Um, and I think that that's largely because you can be, you feel that you can be vulnerable with them um, and so don't feel the need to impression manage as much. Um, and so in terms of kind of closing that gap and, and creating this coherence between an alignment between our identity and our reputation, um, I would say it's about knowing our intention, firstly, which is, you know, like I I tell the leaders I work with, I say, look, if I could just give you one thing, don't worry about all the tips and tricks and all the research and all the stuff. Look, here's a post-it note with a little question on it. Put it in your pocket and take it with you everywhere you go, which is as you're headed out the door, as you're headed into a meeting, it's asking yourself, as a result of this encounter with me, how do I want people to think and to feel and to act? Mm. Um, and of all of those things, I think the one that we miss the most is feel. Mm. <laughs> I, I had one um, senior leader say to me once, oh, Rebecca, I've never used the word feeling at work before. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so think just having real intention about how we show up, I think that helps us because the reality is for most of us, work is busy and the day is busy and there's a lot going on and how we show up under pressure is not always the way that we would, on reflection, like to show up. Hopefully right. they're not too misaligned. But I do think um, that just having that mindset of, okay, just through the busyness and despite the pressures, what kind of leader do I want to be? How do I want people to think and feel as a result of this encounter with me? That, to me, is the starting point. And then the the flip side of that is um, reflection. Um, I think some really interesting studies showing the, I talk about some of them in the book, um, about the power of reflection and how actually we just want to keep getting more stuff done. But the people who perform the best are the ones who just spend kind of 15 minutes at the end of the day reflecting on how was today? Was I the kind of leader I wanted to be today? What would I have done differently? 
um, and the research shows that that you know really supports that. And then in between, I guess it's about being skilled, coming back to that point about getting feedback because you know we don't know what we don't know. So, so Rebecca, I'm going to take us into an imaginary moment, but who knows, this might become real. (laughs) Okay. Uh, uh, And for our listeners' uh, understanding, Rebecca is based in London, and if you do the math on the time difference, uh, Rebecca, I think it's well after midnight where you're located. Imagine the following. You wake up in the morning, uh, kick into your uh, messages overnight, and there's a message saying that the Prime Minister would like you to come to 10 Downing Street at 11 o'clock this morning to work with Theresa May, the leader of the uh, the Conservative Party and British Prime Minister, who's been a lot in the news, to uh, strengthen her uh, authentic gravitas. And then you barely take your breath. This is going to lead to, I think, two burst organs. The <laughs> second message, the, the next text message, you can't believe it, one day... Uh, the Labor Party headquarters is called, and uh, and the leader of the Labor Party, Jeremy Corbyn, would like to meet you at 2 o'clock today. So Theresa May at 11, let's make it uh, Jerry, uh, Jeremy Corbyn at 2 o'clock. He's got the same challenge, at least in his mind. He wants to become better known for his seriousness, his importance, and his uh, connection with the audience. Okay, there it is. So, Rebecca, how are you? Wow. Let's take a, let's take, and I said it's imaginary, but who knows? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, anyway, let's take uh, with, and this is a completely unpolitical program, but if you were to sit down with uh, Theresa May, you know a lot about her style. Many Americans know a lot about her style now, too. Yeah. And what what advice would you have for, and then we'll do the same thing with uh, Mr. Corbin. Okay. Wow, this is an interesting question. Well, let me um, flip it around for a sec, because when you first started talking, I thought, oh, I think I really would have that organist feeling. You know, I'm not sure what I'd, what I'd say. Um, yeah. And But when I got really excited was um, in this imaginary scenario is when I'm talking to both of them, because I mm. think the biggest opportunities... So I, I, this is before I picked up on the fact that I'm meeting one at 11 and one at 11. Okay, we can... Um, yeah, we can do both. You just send a message. We'll just sit down together. Yeah, yeah. I, I just tell Jeremy yeah. to show up at ten down in at eleven o'clock. There it is. Yeah. So I, I just yes. am a really big believer in the power of of shared leadership and of collaborative leadership. And I think that we, as you know, in in our field, we don't know enough about this yet. But there are really powerful research findings about um, the difference that that shared leadership can make and, and that collaboration can make. And, you know, collaboration, it might sound like a fantasy land that, to have these two people collaborate, but collaboration is always difficult. Otherwise, collaborative leadership is always difficult. Otherwise, it's teamwork, right? So built into hmm. the concept around collaboration is this notion that there is some difference in terms of our priorities or our agenda or, um, you know, what's most important to us. And... I, I just think that there's a way. These are, this is my favorite conversation is helping uh, leaders to work things out together to have, you know, honest, open conversations, help make it transparent and about what's most important, take off some of the impression management and just get down to business. Because, you, know, you know, at the level of, of interest and what people want, um, you know... I have to say, I do believe it's nothing else that people go into politics um, and into positions of leadership because they do want to make a positive difference. And yeah, so and even if that's the only common 
And Rebecca, you make you make a really interesting point also, kind of an indirect point here. It's a statement about the human condition, I think, and that is if you were to put these two political, national political leaders together, they've got their deep political differences, of course, but they're leaders, uh, they're national leaders, uh, they're humans. And I, th- I just heard you say one element that would help each strengthen their own ability, ability to lead is to have dialogue with others in a similar circumstance. You can kind of see yourself almost in what they're doing. You can provide feedback to them that others could not. And so I really like the idea of is it dual counseling or is it <laughs> dual coaching or something along that line. Rebecca, uh, just uh, hang on for a second. I just need to remind everybody once again that you're listening to, well, you're on Channel 132, Sirius XM Radio. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm with um, uh, Ann Greenhall. I'm Mike Yuseem. We've been speaking with Rebecca Newton, the CEO of Coach Advisor and author of Authentic Gravitas. So, you know, Mike, what part of what I heard in uh, Rebecca's response to you when, when you asked about the, the coaching of the pair yeah. uh, is something that this is all, you know, enough about me, more about me, but coming back to me just this week, I'm giving feedback to groups of stu- students working on uh, live engagements with hosts in the greater, um, in the greater, uh, actually, Northeast. And uh, one of the one of the recommendations that I gave to one group, uh, who there's a flat group, no one is in charge, but they've been talking about the need to to direct each other and to delegate work. Hmm. And I understand where that comes from because they're trying to uh, divide the labor evenly and equitably. But what I suggested to them, and I think I heard this in um, you know in our guests in our guests' comment, is rather than think about directing and delegating, think instead about elevating and empowering. So yeah, I think it's another way of thinking about shared leadership, and I think echoes your point. If the if we have um, you know two people in the room <laughs> uh, talking face to face, there's maybe greater opportunity for that elevation and empowering, rather than directing and delegating. Uh, Rebecca, jump in. It's it's so interesting and so it's so important, um, and to add to that. I'd say to encourage people to be curious. You know, we spend a lot of time, and so in the context of people feeling pressure to have more gravitas um, or, you know, just feeling under pressure in their leadership, there can be the sense of needing to be interesting and needing to be um, the person who's dominant and, Mm -hmm. you know, really leading the way in, in um, almost in an aggressive style. And I really believe that we all need to make time for genuine connection. You know, the point around charisma that we were talking about before is, is that it's actually not about, about charisma, it's about what matters is connection. And mm. I think that rather than spending so much time worrying about being interesting, we should really choose to be interested yeah. and choose curiosity because if we're... You know, at the at the interpersonal level, sometimes we don't even ask questions of other leaders or colleagues or clients. Um, we don't ask questions about their broader 
business or their broader organisational goals or what's, what matters most to them personally. Um, because we maybe feel uncomfortable because it's not part of the culture of how we show up in meetings, you know, we tend to just jump straight from small talk straight to the agenda points um, and miss what I call this space in the middle, which is talking about <laughs> what matters to you personally right now and what, what's going mm-hmm. on in your organisation and, and what's difficult and... and um, what are you really trying to achieve right now or what's changed? Those few questions that even if we just carve out five or ten minutes for that and have a, a genuine interest in understanding the other person, I, I think that that just is a game changer in terms of how we're able to carve out a way forward even in the most difficult situations. Hmm. Rebecca, I know we're going to want to end on a positive note, but before we uh, have our, our interview come to a close. You also talk about the dark side of Gravitas. Could you say a word or two about that? Yeah, so I... Uh, well, the first thing I'd say is that Gravitas sometimes is is given a bad name in a way that there's this surface Gravitas which might be posturing and domineering and that's not necessarily with negative intent. Um, but where I think it is flips into the dark side or what I call adverse gravitas is when that kind of posturing of self-importance and, and domineering nature that could be misinterpreted as gravitas, as, as authentic gravitas, um, where that shuts down the contributions of other people. Because the people, you know, the, the people who have gravitas are not necessarily the loudest or the most dominant people. They add the most value, and that doesn't mean that they're independent superheroes. That means they're also facilitating and um, influencing others towards contributing and achieving the best goals for the collective. And so the dark side is when people are kind of have the posturing or the domineering that stops other people from contributing or makes people walk on walk on eggshells and, and just kind of creates that fear culture that is that is so dangerous and detrimental. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, this is great. Really? We've got a couple <laughs> minutes good. to go, but I've got uh, maybe a, a, a closing out question. My guess is that a good number of the listeners, certainly Anne and I, have been pretty riveted by the kind of feedback you give to people, learning how to do that, and making a difference in their lives as a result of that. If somebody picks up your book and maybe they've heard the program here, would like to move into coaching, um, even maybe not professionally at the start, but be to even become a professional coach, with just a couple of minutes here, what guidance would you have from your own experience? Mm, wow, great question. I didn't see that coming. Um, <laughs> firstly, that it is a wonderful field. Oh, my goodness. I just think if I did nothing else but... Um, work with leaders in the coaching capacity for the next 30 years, I'd just be happy. Um, and actually, Richard Boyatzis has some amazing research on the impact of, of coaching and just what a positive experience it is for the person coaching. In terms of practical advice, um, you know, we really believe that there's, there's all, you know, obviously there's a range of different coaches, um, and I think that there is a real appetite and need in the world for people who have experience um, and whether that's of leadership and management or just people who've been in the workspace for, for mm. you know, number of years or have had some great experiences 
um, for them to kind of pivot that back and actually the reason why the business is called Coach Advisor because it builds on traditional notions of coaching to also encompass how in that dynamic um, leaders can become coaches who also offer advice to people and they mentor people. I just, there's such an appetite in the world for that and um, I find that some of the best coaches are the people who've been so deep and technical experts in their industries and then they kind of pivot their career back into their own industry but in but with a coaching hat on um, and we actually we work with those professionals to develop them to become coaches and it's just such a privilege to to be um, in that role and and to give that to support to leaders it's so, yeah, I'd say go for it. It's wonderful. Go for it. So, Rebecca, uh, listen, thank you on that. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and we appreciate it. it's after midnight where you're based. So a double thanks uh, for coming onto the program at this time. Thank you for having yes, me. Yes, thank it's you, so Rebecca. Lovely. And, Rebecca, for listeners who'd like to find out more about Coach Advisor, how would you – what should they do? Well, there's a couple things. Um, so – Thank you for asking. So we have a website, coachadvisor.com. It's with an ER. I don't know how that's going to fly in, in America, but mm-hmm. um, at the end, and, and just if you go to rebeccanewton.co.uk, um, then all the details. It'll, it'll pop all up. the links through there as well. Authenticgravitas.com has links through to everything as well. So all right, fantastic. Thank you very much. And Mike and Anne, please, if you're in London, please come to the yeah. LSE. Okay, oh, thank we you. Drop by. We would love that. Would thank love. you, Rebecca. Great. Hey, thanks thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. And Anne, we've got about two minutes here. Yeah. Uh, our custom, of course, for listeners is to do a very brief, in this case, after action review. What, yeah. what points do you want to hang on to? Oh, well, Rebecca made so many good points, but there is one that really sticks with me, and I'm going to try to follow her advice and uh, keep this sticky note with me. And that is just to ask, when I leave this moment, this meeting, <laughs> How do I want others to think about me? How do I want them to feel? And how do I want them to act? I just think that's such Mm -hmm. great advice. (laughs) Good commentary. And to add to that, I wrote down really out of the conversation, but it's also in the book, the very definition of gravitas is an ability to focus on what's significant, what's important, number one, Number two, to be serious about it. Um, life is short. We need to really bring uh, content and focus to what we're doing. And number three, in some respects, the most important of all is to really add value to the conversation, the the debate. That's why you're meeting. That's why you're sitting down with somebody. That's why you're giving a presentation. And then it also uh, did come out uh, almost a fourth factor don't forget to be a really good listener, and as part of that, give signs that you are listening. Mm-hmm. Thank you right. for the great point. I'm going to <laughs> yeah. put that into my commentary as one, yeah. one method. So anyway, yeah. and thank I you. I agree to that. Yeah. I agree, but I'm going to put one little footnote, Mike, and Go that is to, uh, and uh, Rebecca said this so well, to be serious about things that really matter. And I'm just going to quip, but not necessarily to take yourself too seriously. Have a little lightness and fun as well. Good summary. So thank you for joining <laughs> us tonight, everybody. If you've got a question, you know how to reach us. We're Business Radio at SiriusXM.com. Um, I am here with Ann Greenhall. I am Mike Usain. You've been listening, of course, to Leadership in Action, Business Radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.